Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast provides updates based on the expertise and insights from the attorneys at the Washington, D.C.-based law firm, Courtney Scott, and their guests. This podcast will provide an analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand, and is for informational purposes only and does not provide legal advice. Now, let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. David Fortney again on another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update. And I am so excited. Today, we have a really super special guest. We have EEOC Vice Chair Jocelyn Samuels. Jocelyn, how are you today? I am doing just fine, like everyone else in the Eastern and Midwestern United States coping with the effects of wildfires. I hope everyone's safe out there. Jocelyn and I are both in D.C. today, and I mean, I guess we're not the worst spot on the East Coast, but it's pretty darn bad here. And yeah, so I share that sentiment exactly. Well, let me just say a word for those that may not be familiar, but Jocelyn is the vice chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, five-member agency, and I think we're all generally familiar with the mission of the EEOC. It is both compliance and enforcement for a broad range of EEO laws, including but not limited to Title VII, the ADA, the Age Discrimination Act, and a many, many others. And Jocelyn is in a position that requires nomination by the President of the United States and confirmation by the U.S. Senate. And Jocelyn, I think it's particularly noteworthy that you have managed to be confirmed not once but twice by the U.S. Senate, which is a very high compliment to you because the U.S. Senate, as I often say, rarely agrees on much of anything, but it's nice that they could agree on you. (laughs) I am so grateful that I get to do this work and that I was nominated and confirmed not once, but twice. As twice, right. And we're lucky to have you in the role you're in. You were initially confirmed in 2020 for a short term, and then in 2021, reconfirmed for your second term, which runs for five years until 2026. So right. we really appreciate your service and really appreciate you joining us today. It's really special for the podcast to have you. Well, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, super. So what Jocelyn and I would like to talk about a little bit is the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, or PWFA, which is somewhat unique. It's a very recent amendment to the nation's civil rights laws, and the effective date is coming up. So what we want to do is take advantage of this podcast so that everyone in advance of that effective date can understand a little more about the PWFA, everything in Washington has to have initials or acronyms. So this is the PWFA, Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. So Jocelyn, let's go because this is going to be a statute that your agency is responsible for. And I know you've done a great job on outreach on already on guidance and compliance, but let's start with the basics. What is the PWFA? Tell us about that. Well, I am so excited that we have a new civil rights law to enforce and work with employers to implement, because I really do think this will be a win-win for both workers and employers. The PWFA requires employers to provide reasonable accommodations up to the level of undue hardship to employees and applicants who have known limitations related to, affected by, or arising out of pregnancy, 
childbirth, or related medical conditions. And this was, as you noted, passed last December. It was a bipartisan bill, something of a rarity in D.C., supported by a wide range of interest groups from the Chamber of Commerce and the Society for Human Resource Management to civil rights and faith-based organizations across the board. And I think that the reason for that is that the bill recognizes that women should not be forced to compromise their ability to work based on an inability to get accommodations to stay in the workplace. The law provides clear standards to employers about when pregnant workers are entitled to an accommodation. It enables employers to support and retain employees, and it enables those employees to stay on the job. And so I think that's a lot of the reason that it has generated such universal support and real recognition that this is an advance in providing for equal employment opportunity and serving the interests of workers and employers. I think that's right, Jocelyn. I know certainly our clients are very receptive to it and people with interests certainly followed as the bill was progressing along. And I think many people were appreciative of Congress enacting this and looking forward to it uh, being put in place. Well, let's start with some basics to make sure that people know, when is the law effective? You mentioned that Congress uh, passed it and it was signed into law in December of 2022. Right. What's the next deadline we need to be mindful of? The effective date is this month, June 27th, 2023, is the day on which the law goes into effect. Okay. And so that's, again, a fairly common mechanism that Congress uses. They give some advance time so that people have a chance to become familiar with the law before its effective date, which of course is really what the purpose of today is to talk a little bit about what's included in that. Now, are there regulations or will there be regulations? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So the law requires the EEOC to issue regulations by December 29th this year. And the public will have a really robust opportunity to provide comment on proposed regulations that we hope to release expeditiously. The process is for us to provide a proposed set of regulations, obtain public input, take that input into account, and then issue final regulations that will help employers to understand the scope of their obligations under the law. Okay. So we'll have that to look forward to later this year, and we'll keep an eye out and make sure that our listeners are aware when those regs come out, because comment, we're a big believer in comment. I know the agency welcomes comments because that ultimately yields a much better quality and informed regulation. And this is one of the statutes, not all of your statutes, you have regulatory authority, but this one you do expressly. So I think you've talked a little bit about who is protected. You've covered that. How about which employers are effectively all employers out there? Let's talk about which employers are subject to these new obligations. Yeah, you know, a lot of the concepts and foundations of the PWFA are going to be very familiar to your listeners because they build on existing law. So the coverage of the law is the same as under Title VII. So if you are covered under Title VII, you are covered under the PWFA. It also includes Congress, federal agencies, employment agencies, 
those covered by the Government Employee Rights Act. So it is the universe of entities that are already covered by existing civil rights laws. I'll also note that with regard to the individuals who are covered by this law, one of the purposes of the PWFA was to fill gaps in coverage under both Title VII and the Americans with Disabilities Act. So under Title VII, the Supreme Court had said, women who are pregnant can receive accommodations, but only if there were similarly situated workers who also received those accommodations. So it was a very comparative standard. Under the ADA, you're entitled to accommodations, but only if you have a disability. This law takes the guesswork out of whether employers are obligated to cover pregnant workers and give them accommodations up to the level of undue hardship and says employers must make accommodations for those with limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth or related medical conditions, even if they don't provide them to other workers and even if the workers don't have a disability. So it's sort of a gap filler, if you will, for the way the current statutory scheme operated, at least with respect to its, I think most people would have agreed, unintended impact in creating some gaps in coverage for the benefit of addressing pregnancy and pregnancy-related condition. Yeah, good. And I think that really goes to the heart of why this has enjoyed such widespread support from, as you point out, all points of the compass. Yeah. Well, let's delve into the reasonable accommodation, because many employers were introduced to that concept as a result of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Although if you're a federal contractor, we've got 503 of the Rehab Act, and it goes back further than that. But suffice it to say, I think many employers, at least from that vantage point, have some familiarity with reasonable accommodations. And most, I think, successfully are able to navigate that space today. But let's talk a little bit about What are we talking about in terms of reasonable accommodation under the PWFA? Sure. And, you know, I will just say one of the reasons that I am so confident that employers have got this down is that the concepts under this law are really familiar. Reasonable accommodation, undue hardship, interactive process, they all rely on ADA definitions of those terms. And so they are concepts that employers have been dealing with now for more than 30 years. But with regard to specific accommodations for pregnancy-related limitations, many of these are so simple and straightforward. Things like the ability to sit down when you Mm -hmm. normally stand at a job or to stand when you're normally seated at a desk, the ability to take bathroom breaks, the ability to carry a water bottle, to receive closer parking if you get parking benefits from your employer, to receive appropriately sized uniforms and safety equipment, to take leave to recover from childbirth. All of these are very straightforward and I think likely to impose minimal, if any, constraints on employers and are the kind of thing that employers will be expected to provide under this law. Okay. And so many of those sound like ADA type accommodations. I mean, ones that would fit comfortably 
is there an exact match or are there any differences between, because I think, and I agree with you, I think that most people have in their heads and their experience and their expertise, I'll call it ADA accommodations, and are hopefully reasonably good at it. We'd like to think most of our clients are, if not all of them. But how do these accommodations compare to ADA? Do they track one-on-one or are there any differences? Thanks for that question, because while many of the concepts, as I said, are familiar, there are ways in which the PWFA is different. One of them is that there are two different ways that workers with limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions can be qualified. The first is if they're able to perform the essential functions of the job with or without accommodation. That's the same as the ADA. Same, right. But the second is that a worker will be considered to be qualified even if she is unable to perform an essential function, as long as the inability to perform is for a temporary period, the essential function will be able to be performed in the near future, and that's language from the statute, and the inability to perform the essential function can be reasonably accommodated. And so while the ADA gives rights to accommodation only to those who are already qualified for the job with or without accommodation, the PWFA recognizes that pregnancy by definition is a temporary condition and made the judgment that it is reasonable to expect employers to allow employees to suspend performance of essential functions Again, up to the limit of undue hardship, as long as the ability to perform or inability to perform is just temporary and will be cured in the near future. Okay, that's helpful. And this is one, I think this is something that employers, this could be a, I'll call it a trap for the unwary to recognize that the essential function concept can be, I'll call it tweaked, modified. Just be in taking into account that pregnancy is of a short duration, we all know, and that is different than our experience under the ADA. And there is this outer boundary. I mean, this is a statute, so it doesn't catalog every situation, but it's, you know, the undue burden is the, so yes, those essential functions can be lifted, modified. I think of them as suspended some degree but for that short period of time to effect the accommodation. I think that's a really important point. And it's, again, as I think evidenced by the U.S. Chamber and others' support of this, that's viewed as eminently doable. I'll just say right up front by employers. So folks, don't think that that is an excuse or a justification. I think you need to understand that, but it's doable. I'll also say a few other differences from the ADA. Of course, the language is different. So The PWFA covers known limitations related to affected by or arising out of pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions. There does not have to be a particular level of severity that a worker has to show in order to be entitled to an accommodation. So under the ADA, the person has to demonstrate that they have a covered disability, which is a substantial impairment of a major life activity. That threshold does not exist under the PWFA. 
If you have a limitation, a physical or mental condition arising from pregnancy or related conditions, you are entitled to an accommodation under the PWFA. Congress has essentially made that judgment so that that linkage that otherwise the ADA left open does not need to be made or has been made, if you will, by statute. Correct. Mm -hmm. An employer is entitled to satisfy itself that a limitation results from pregnancy, childbirth, or a related medical condition. But if it does, it is covered. And that's the end of the inquiry. Fair enough. And I would say that that introduces my other corollary, don't mess with pregnant employees, because normally that ends badly. But that's just a general legal thought on that. (laughs) Well, let's talk about, are there any other prohibitions that the statute has that we want to make sure that employers are aware of. Absolutely. And some of these mirror and some go beyond the ADA. So one thing to know is that while leave is a permissible accommodation, an employee cannot be forced to take leave if another accommodation is available without creating undue hardship. So, you know, I think Congress was acutely conscious of the stereotypes that have affected pregnant women in the past that they can't perform their jobs. And so explicitly said, leave is like a last resort accommodation. Although, of course, an employee and an employer could agree that leave would be a desirable accommodation. You can't require an employee to accept an accommodation that isn't arrived at as part of a mutual discussion. So the employer can't unilaterally make the choice for the employee. You can't deny a job to someone because they'll need a reasonable accommodation. You can't retaliate against someone for requesting an accommodation or asserting their rights. And like the ADA, you can't interfere with someone's assertion or ability to exercise their rights under the statute. So all of those are corollary prohibitions that relate to the fundamental obligation to provide accommodations. Okay. I think we've done a nice job of succinctly laying out the statutory requirements, the reasonable accommodations, some differences with the ADA. As we look, we do have, thankfully, the benefit of some time before the statute goes in. And of course, even if you're after that June 29th deadline, you still, if you're not fully compliant, should be moving forward. But what specifically, from your vantage point, do you think are best practices that we would want employers to really bear down on during this period? Well, it's the 27th, not the 27th. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Thank you. Clarify. But I think, you know, in some ways, this six-month grace period before the law went into effect is a real benefit for employers to make sure that they have their ducks in a row. Among other things, you should be reviewing your policies and procedures to make sure that they incorporate your employees' rights to request and receive accommodations for pregnancy, childbirth, and related medical conditions. You should be training your HR people and your supervisors who will be receiving these accommodation requests so they understand what it is that they will need to do to ensure that you're in compliance with the law. You should affirmatively notify your employees of the availability 
of these types of reasonable accommodations because, of course, if they don't know, they can't ask, and no one will derive the benefits that this law is intended to provide. So I think that those are core preparatory steps that you can be taking right now so that you will be fully in place to comply with the law on the day it becomes effective. I agree with those. I just want to underscore particularly the training of the folks, HR and frontline who may be dealing with accommodation requests and apprising your workforce because in the, I'll call it the war for talent and, you know, keeping and retaining your high performing employees, this is a tool that you can do to retain those employees who are pregnant and demonstrate commitment. And honestly, my experience has been that employees tend to appreciate employers that recognize and go that extra distance. So I think those are great tips. Really great tips. Completely agree. Super. Well, we're close on time. I want to just ask from this discussion, because we've covered a lot of great ground and tips, let's pretend that we're old school and we have that three by five card that you might have one or two items that you write on. What would you like employers to have as sort of their key takeaways from this discussion? So this has been such a great discussion. Thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. I would say several things. The first is don't be scared. You've got this. You know these concepts. You have processes in place that you can readily modify to ensure that you are providing pregnant workers with the supports and accommodations that they need, and you will be able to comply, and it will benefit both you and your workers. That's the first message. This is a good thing, nothing to be scared of. Second, you're not alone in this. The EEOC will be providing significantly more guidance through the proposed regulations, which we will be issuing. And I urge you to keep an eye out for those and to weigh in with us through the comment process so that we can hear from you about the information you need in order to ensure you understand your responsibilities and promote compliance with the law. I often say when I give speeches, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. People <laughs> laugh. I say, this, why are you laughing? No, this time it's really true. I agree with that. <laughs> it's really true. We are in this together. Right. And I know that we share the goals of this legislation and of equal employment opportunity. And I just really look forward to working with you, David, and with all of the clients you represent to make the promise of this law a reality. Thanks, Jocelyn. This is a really great discussion. One other resource I would suggest as a key takeaway is the EEOC's website. You have a great page already on PWFA. You have some FAQs already uploaded on there. And my experience has been that the agency does a great job of pushing its information. And so you might want to bookmark that EEOC page that they have set up already for PWFA. Review those FAQs today as part of the getting ready steps. So anyhow, it's been, Jocelyn, it's been so much fun. I always enjoy our conversations. And today I thought was super and very, very informative for our audience. Couldn't be more timely. 
Thank you so much. And everybody stay safe out there. Okay. Thanks, everyone. And thanks for joining another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update. If you haven't already, just press that subscribe button on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified right away when timely podcasts like we had today with EEOC Vice Chair Jocelyn Samuels. Thank you again, Jocelyn. Of course. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update, the podcast that provides analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand. You can subscribe to the DC Insider Employer Update podcast wherever you get your podcast, which includes Apple, Spotify, and Google. Additional information about our podcast is located on the Fortney Scott website at fortneyscott.com. Thanks again for listening to the DC Insider Employer Updates.